Wonderful. Ah, so nice to see you and so nice to hear you and be with you. Nice to see you too. You know, sometimes in life there tends to be a theme that comes in, comes up. So if there's a current theme that you're exploring, you know, or I think we could look at that together. If there's a theme that I'm interested in, I can say that it is um, uh, how, how do we strengthen our spiritual connection to life in very difficult times? Yes. In a really universal sense. Yeah. And do you mean so, difficult times like when we just like difficult times within ourselves or difficult times in the world or they're not really separate? Just how we're experiencing the world. Well, they're not really challenge? separate. Um, mm -hmm. They're not really separate because we're always going through things as individuals mm -hmm. in our in journey and our growth. But these times in particular are very unique and pandemic climate change war um, these are very big very big um, collective movements that have a tremendous impact on uh, individuals yes but i think that's a really great thing to explore like especially for people who are interested in spirituality you know and even the non-dual path because i feel like in the non-dual path the teaching is very direct you know, and it's just pointing directly to the truth of who you are, which is really beyond this world and beyond all the stories. But then we have to, we find ourselves seemingly in the world, <laughs> you know, so I, my kind of exploration through all of these podcasts, conversations is really bringing that what we find in the pointing of non-duality, really bringing that into the middle of life. And exactly like you say, like, how can we bring that understanding and that self-recognition that we have in our hearts you know that we're really beyond the world but yet the world is here <laughs> you know so how can we bring that right into the middle of a challenge you know and whatever the challenge is and of course these big issues that are coming up in the world at the moment trigger different things in different people you know um but whatever yes. it is uh, how can we bring that in i like that exploration uh, my teacher, Lee, who, um, whose master is Yogi Ramsarat Kumar, they've both left this world. They're no longer in their bodies. And I consider Yogi Ramsarat Kumar my Maha Guru. Mm -hmm. And both of them had uh, a very um, a very powerful way, way of being present in life. And so through their example and their teachings and through my own deep inner work, which I've come to on my own, uh, I've I understand that yes, we are be, we exist beyond this world, and that, that the depth of who we are in the non-dual sense, the true nature of who we are, and our connection with all of life, our unity with all of life, this is true, and that this realm is real also, yeah. and that it's given by the divine to us, and so we, you, you know, it's it's. For me, it's a misunderstanding of non-dual teachings, when, which I hear often from people um, over the years, to think that we're just going to aim for going beyond and not having to deal with the mess that's here. Yeah. When actually, you know, the yeah. path that I've, that I've uh, lived for, many, for a number of decades now is uh, the bowel path, and it's a path that, that synthesizes tantra and bhakti. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in Tantra, you, we don't reject anything. We don't turn away from, we turn toward yeah. whatever it is, because every moment of our experience holds these precious seeds or keys for transforming energy yeah. and for the actual transformation that we're, that we're aspiring to for ourselves individually so that we can be really in touch with our true nature and the wisdom that resides deep, deep, deep within us underneath all the layers of personality and karmas and all of these things. So for me, it's, for me, it's really both. It's really so important that we allow ourselves to be fully present to what is happening in our little world, in my personal world and in the, in the, in the world of humanity and that I honor my humanity you know, I'm here in incarnation to learn and to grow and to serve. Yes. So um, the nature of like our truth is that we it doesn't want to turn away from anything like it actually turns towards darkness, <laughs> if anything. Yes, really. Yes. And, the, you know, the Buddhists have such a beautiful way of expressing this in, in the Bodhisattva vow. And I'm not a Buddhist per se, although I've studied Buddhist teachings because in, in, in the path that I've been on, um, this, this uh, uh, deep interest and passion about universal truth as it shows up in, in all traditions. It's really the bowls wear these iconic patchwork jackets. They sew patches from many different fabrics into a into a cloth and then they wear that. And it's a symbol of their, their deep passion for synthesizing and taking, you know, like gathering honey, they call mm. it gathering honey from many different traditions. So I like to refer to the Buddhist tradition, even though I'm not a Buddhist and yeah. with, with great respect and gratitude mm. for those mm. teachings, but they have a beautiful way of understanding this, mm. this interface between non-duality and and in and duality and mm. the possibility that we could have a, an awakened relationship an awakened um awareness that we bring to to this world where we mm. find ourselves yeah. and they they often will say it like this in spiritual practice first there is the mountain then there is no mountain mm. and then there is the mountain again <laughs> and so this this second appearance of the mountain is the mountain is real now yeah it's not an illusion yeah because we've brought awareness and consciousness to it and that's the whole point of non-duality as well like non-duality is not to so if it was the okay i've discovered this truth of who i am but it's over here and the world is here it's still making a separation so it has to be that right in the middle of life everything whatever it is you know, all the human challenges, like that is the truth that I use the words beyond this world, <laughs> you know, but they're only words, of course, they're not the right words, because it's not beyond this world, it's, it has to be right in the middle of this world, or else we don't really want it, I don't think, if we can't have it here. <laughs> be it, have it, be it, and yes, experience it. Said. And I think yeah, live it fully. So there's so many different spiritual paths, you know, and I suppose and spiritual practices. And I suppose what they really all are is to 
bring that recognition into each and every moment more and more and more maybe I don't know what you think about this but like I feel like it's a kind of an ongoing thing like maybe there's always something else that we can bring our awareness and light to because we are the entirety of consciousness you know maybe we can get over our own personal things <laughs> you know the way with Yogi Ramsarat Kumar didn't they say um the, you know he kind of went and he was dealing with things in different realms Madhavaki says that I spent some time with Madhavaki also and she said that he used to just spend time like doing things and I don't know what words to use now but in different realms and everything and <laughs> um, doing work doing his work I think he would call it yes yeah it's just smoking yes, his, his cigarette work um yeah, smoking like yeah. hundreds of cigarettes, like one cigarette, then another cigarette and another cigarette. But he'd be just so focused on whatever. We don't know. <laughs> he would focus on one of us uh, in, in the times that I in his company, for which I'm very grateful. Mm. Um, he would fo focus on one of us. Like I say, he would focus on me and uh, smoking his smoking the cigarettes the way he did it. And there was this very strong feeling that he was looking because he would gaze into whoever was in front of him while mm -hmm. he smoked and he would gaze very, very deeply into the being. And there was such a palpable sense that he was smoking for us, that it was a prayer, yeah. the, the way the smoke would rise to heaven, that yeah. that was prayer and that he was connecting heaven and earth through this act mm. and there's also you know many stories of when the the wall in berlin was about it was still up and there was this terrible suffering going on between east germany and west germany and uh, just before uh, for you know a, a year or some months before the wall came down yogi ram sarat kumar was reading the newspapers every day and he was very focused on what was happening in germany Hmm. and smoking and uh, and he would go into very deep states bhavas very deep moods very profound moods and sometimes it would appear that he was suffering very deeply and hmm. tears would come to him and uh it was so uh, um, <clears throat> real for those of us who were sitting in, in with him in in his company in those moments hmm. that he was smoking and praying and working on behalf of of what's happening now in this world that it was as important to him what was happening in germany and that the wall would come down mm. um, that was as important as possibly some very cosmic work it, there was no yeah. th that he was clearly doing that too that yeah. there was no separation that yeah. earlier no separation yeah. and what would you say about um everything that's going on in the world right now you know everything is big word for <laughs> the main things that are in the world you know right now there's like the war between russia and ukraine there's i don't know that i don't really keep an eye on the news but I, there's a lot of things but how would you suggest that people deal with the issues that that's bringing up in them even i was talking to someone when the um lockdown was on I was talking to someone who's from Israel and she was saying it was bringing up in her a lot of old stuff about um, just like World War II when when Jewish people were kind of being put down. And all. It was bringing up a lot of her old ancestry stuff inside her as well. So there's that, you know, and 
it can it can trigger different aspects i think in in different people for me it's enough to just really whatever feelings i'm feeling to just let myself feel everything as fully as i can you know because i don't feel like i can necessarily do anything for the world like per se but i feel like i do have the ability to really embrace and not look away from whatever is arising inside me so i don't know what if you have anything to say about that yes uh, um I'm, I'm very aware that the war in ukraine is bringing up memories of world war ii and and for good reason with good reason and i too don't i don't watch the news and um i don't listen to the news but i do stay i have friends who tell me will tell me what's happening my husband yeah. is german so stays abreast of it because he has relative closest mother his son we have very dear friends in europe um so so much of this intergenerational trauma that you're referring to about it's bringing up for your friend in israel mm -hmm. um memories of the holocaust and and yeah. for for many people who especially people of of jewish ancestry this is very very powerful intergenerational trauma it's it's ancestral but it's very much in the body still mm. and um we each have to find our way to work with these things um and for some people that means getting professional help when, when it's really um becomes much of a burden for the individual we need to get some help with working through these wounds mm. Uh, but from a perspective of spiritual practice, mm. one of the, I would say the kind of foundation context that I, that I aspire to live from is, um, is really trusting the divine process here on earth and that there mm. is something meaningful there, there, there's something very big going on. And I, I have this, as, as many people are saying these days that have this, this deep sense that humanity is right at the edge of an evolutionary leap and that that evolutionary leap is a this evolutionary leap is a spiritual leap hmm. and that we we things have to change on planet earth in terms hmm. of our species whether we will continue as a species or not this is yeah. very clearly action and so I'm, I, I hold it in my, in my prayer and my contemplation and chanting or whatever practice, you know, I do, or, or you do whatever practice we are called to do hmm. that we, we hold that there is a divine intention and that grace is still active yeah. in this world and with us human beings. Hmm. And that doesn't mean that we condone what's going on. It doesn't mean that we don't feel deeply the sorrow and the anguish of it, because we we have. In, in my, what's so important for me is that we keep our, we keep allowing our hearts to open. And you mentioned this just a moment ago about you you choose to feel it. Hmm. This is a huge work for us that we choose. We can choose to feel for humanity and for the earth and for every all the animals the plants everything that is going mm. on here that we have we understand that it's a sacred world and mm. everything is sacred and uh, from that place we feel of course when 
We're not separate. We're not disconnected from the suffering anywhere and everywhere in Africa, in the United States, in the in, in the barrios, in the inner cities, in the social injustice that we're willing to feel, basically. Because when we're willing to feel all of that, that means we will also have access to the joy that is the beyond that you started talking about at the beginning, mm -hmm. the joy that transcends, that's beyond, that's that actually permeates everything. Mm -hmm. um, the heart has to keep opening yeah. and the eyes have to be open. So, you know, we have to have open eyes seen clearly. Yeah. And we don't necessarily want to feel, especially when our personal wounds have now been activated by something that's going on. Yeah. So that's where it gets into maybe we need to get help or maybe we need to um, uh, expand our vision of what spiritual practice is. Mm, I guess it's, it just... it's not only that it's everything that we do. Mm. I think it's good to just in a way trust ourself in the sense of like just whatever appears like like you say, whatever we're guided to do because it would be different from person to person depending on loads of different things. <laughs> like maybe sometimes for some of us, it might just feel totally overwhelming. So you actually really need help and that's totally okay. Mm -hmm. So whatever is appearing yes. for us, it's totally okay. And to just kind of trust that and to also know that you can't actually make a mistake. <laughs> like I feel like that kind of sense is getting deeper and deeper in me. There is no mistakes. There's no such thing as a mistake. Like it's okay to do it wrong. <laughs> to do life wrong because you can't really do it wrong especially if you're just being you're being as honest with yourself as you can be like really that is doing it right even if the outside thing appears to be wrong <laughs> yes it can look like a mistake and it can feel like a mistake and actually <laughs> if we're making use of it then then it gets um it becomes part of the transformational process and so it's very blessed hmm. if we're making use of it. But of course, there are, there are, um, I think this thing of no mistakes is really beautiful because it, 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 um, it leads right into the trust that, that you're talking about and that we're discussing is trust. And there's a greater process and hmm. grace is, grace is, is, is guiding that process. Yeah. Yeah. The grace is the greatest force <clears throat> in existence. We could eat, we could say it's the love that it's gravity. Even you know, if we want to go mm. to physics to understand what's going on, mm. that grace and love and grace being you know um, two words for the same thing yeah. um, is mm -hmm. holding everything together. Yeah, I like the way Rumi says, um, "The wound is the place where the light enters." You know, so that's yes. like really being with our wounds, <laughs> you know, so no matter how much we think we know um, ourselves, you know, our true nature, if we still have kind of pains and suffering and conditionings arising inside us, which is really all of us, because even like when you said Yogi Ramsarat Kumar is flicking through the paper, you know, and mm -hmm. he's crying and feeling the pain of whatever he's reading, you know, and I feel like that's a very beautiful reflection because sometimes we can have this idea that a uh, realized being is 
beyond everything in the sense that they don't feel anything. But I feel like it's great to have to hear that and to know that really a realized being maybe feels more than and I don't want to distinguish even between a realized being and a non-realized being, if you're wrong. But somehow, like the more like we um live our true nature, maybe we feel more and more deeply. And we don't have to be afraid to feel. We don't have to be afraid to feel. And really that wound of where it hurts, you know, more and more light can pour into us through that. Like that. <clears throat> Oh, that's so true and such a beautiful uh, Rumi has so many uh, poems in which he points toward this mm. in such a beautiful way. Yeah. Um, and what you were saying, uh, going back to Yogi Ramsarat Kumar crying um, in reading the newspaper, I was thinking of the 16th Karmapa who died quite a number of, you know, I think a couple of decades ago, even now. Um, that he had the 16th Karmapa was just an incredible, incredible being of great and deep, profound realization. And he had this relationship with birds where the birds would come and light on his hand. And he would literally say, he would say that he is giving transmission to the bird, mm. that he was not making a difference between all beings. As mm. Yogi Ramsar Kumar has this beautiful teaching, and you may have heard this from, from Madhavaki. Uh, on the totality of life in which he says everything is moving toward one point of totality mm. so all things all things all beings uh, all planets all suns all all you know every the one-celled creatures yeah. as well as the complicated creatures like human beings we're all moving toward this moment in which we realize the gift of of of, of life that we process of becoming as a being that can then reflect back on that which created us, that which we are a small, tiny little part of, mm. and the beauty and the grace and the joy of that. Um, so I love this, uh, this with uh, the 16th Karmapa. There's some wonderful videos of him, as well as some wonderful videos of Yogi Ram Sarat Kumar. Mm. And it's, it's so inspiring just to, um, just to have you know what's called traditionally darshan mm. uh, just just to see um then hear the voice and the laughter yeah. of uh, <clears throat> of someone who's teaching us who's, who's bringing wisdom that we then and this is another really important point uh for me and one that my teacher lee emphasized was that we have to find the truth of this for ourselves. So the great beings like Yogi Ramsarat Kumar, the 16th Karmapa, the Dalai Lama, uh, Mother Teresa, all these great beings, Rumi, you know, wh whoever it is that we're being super inspired and, and nourished by spiritually. But then we have to take that and we have to, it has to become real for me as an individual. I have to realize it. Yeah. In the last uh, months of my teacher's life, he was fond of saying, among many other things, he was saying, you have to make the path your own. Yeah. And so this, this, um, like the, the real, the, the, the true gurus, the, the true teachers, they're always putting it back on us. It's like, don't mm -hmm. just um, adulate and worship me, find out. Yeah. 
take what I take what I'm giving and and prove it for yourself. This direct experience, rather than going through someone else, mm-hmm. I have found over the decades to be essentially important. Yeah, what that really means, isn't it, to make the path around is to live the teachings. Like it's not enough to just know it, you know, and like the same as you probably, you know, when you're with a teacher, you know, many Sangha around as well. So you can see that that's a a thing that seems to happen to many of us is that we kind of think we know. (laughs) And when you think you know something, it kind of stops you from actually growing. Like, so you feel like you've realized or something. And it really, I feel like that really stops our growth. And maybe it happens to all of us it's like a step and maybe it can happen numerous times I don't know but just uh hopefully we'll be blessed by grace that anytime it happens in us that we'll notice (laughs) and let that idea go and really to just bring those teachings whatever they are but you have to bring them into really every moment of your life you know like it's very easy to feel at one with everything and divine when there's no nothing no forces from outside you know you're sitting down in your room it's quiet it's peaceful oh yeah everything's good <laughs> like that's easy for most of us it can be a bit challenging sometimes maybe sometimes but when you're in the middle of a war or even a war in your own family you know <laughs> I'm sure we all know that like you can have arguments with the people you love so even in the middle of that like how can we um live the teachings as best we can in those moments and that's where we really learn, I think, through applying the teachings. And I don't know, you know, I'm a bit younger than you, so I'm sure you know better than me. <laughs> but like, it seems like it's uh, an ongoing thing. And the more time that goes past, those teachings somehow get deeper and deeper and maybe come more alive. And even though maybe 10 years ago, we thought we understood the meaning of the teachings gets deeper and deeper over time. Well, yes, I, I can say that I'm 71. I've been on the mm-hmm. path since I was 20 yeah. and met my gurus later, at, you know, when I was 35, 36 years old. Um, and so had already many sp- turns on the spiral that you're talking about. Because my experience yeah. is that it is a spiral and mm-hmm. that we keep visit, we come back around like, and, and we might feel like, what, this again? I thought I had, <laughs> I was done with this. But actually, there's still something we have to learn and, and you know, really bringing honor and respect to that process and, and, and wisdom yeah. that uh, um, that the process of becoming you don't attain something um, and then you're done yeah. that the spiritual path isn't like that, no. that we keep uh, there's always more we keep growing and we keep yeah. transforming and each time we um make it around that spiral and maybe we've like embodied more of the path and embodied more wisdom in ourselves then we're called more and more to serve each time each time we embody and uh, so this spiraling is is very important and there's something else that you said that i wanted to um riff off of Mm -hmm. um maybe it will come back to me in a few minutes yeah and I wonder if you wanted to say something about the ball. Is that how you say ball tradition? I don't know if I'm pronouncing the word right. Ball, bowl, bowl, bowl tradition. Um, so to say it's hard to say for us Western. Yeah, and how maybe it might be used, like in like how we could adopt some of it in a 
kind of as a spiritual practice kind of type of thing or whatever you wanted to say about whatever comes up um well the bowels bowel it's spelled b-a-u-l mm. and um they are a like about a 500 year old sect in bengal mm -hmm. and uh, in in my path, my teacher called our path a, a Western bowel path because we're Westerners. So that doesn't stop. We don't stop being Westerners just because we've imbibed or we've immersed ourselves in Eastern teachings and yeah. so grateful for them, which I am tremendously grateful. Yeah. Um, but just a little bit about the bowels. They, they uh, were revolutionaries in their time because they, they um, renounced their caste status. And as you know, in India, caste... Mm is a very, very powerful uh, force in the culture and spiritual for them also a spiritual force. But, and I'm sure that there are some good things about it, but there are many things that are not good about it. So for the ancient bowels of 500 years ago, they refused to be, be any caste. And even those who were the highest caste who were Brahmins, they renounced their Brahmins thread. And they did this because they did not want they wanted for themselves and others the freedom to go direct to the divine. This thing of direct experience of the divine is a really crucial uh, part of the bowel path. Even though they had tremendous respect and um, deep, deep gratitude and devotion to their gurus as well. And for bowels, they have more than one. They have a usually a singing guru, a, a guru who teaches them music and sacred songs. And then they have a, a sat guru who's working with them at another level and, and others that they learn from. <clears throat> but besides, um, in addition to this renouncing of the caste system and going direct so that they did not want to have to pay the bakshish to the priest for their prayers to go mm -hmm. to the deity they want yeah. to go direct and go direct through their poems and their songs mm. so they're very they they play very um very um amazing and earthy handmade instruments wander from village to village and sing these songs that as poets they have they have encoded their teaching into their songs mm. and they're very they're very powerful yogis they're many of them are very uh, have great a great deal of mastery in hatha yoga uh, pranayama um, breath and and also um, relationship yoga which includes sacred sexuality mm. so they have a very deep and powerful spiritual path and um one of the ways that I that I understand that we as Westerners can benefit from them and to learn more about them is to really embrace this direct going direct to divinity. So I have a, a relationship with the personal beloved because the bowels are very, very powerful, very uh, their their longing and their devotion for a personal relationship with the mm. divine. Is, uh, is a beautiful, beautiful part of their teaching. And sometimes they'll refer to, to that as the, the man of the heart or the person of the heart, we could say, could be mm. also the woman of the heart. Mm. So it's a it's a beyond gender. gender. Um, just about, let's say, if you just take singing to the divine as a, an idea and they want to have a personal relationship 
I might be getting wrong, personal relationship with God, would it be used as a spiritual practice in the sense that they're seekers? Or how would it be like, so for someone like, you know, that is clearly not a seeker, <laughs> like they know the divine and they, you know, they have a relationship with, but they also see that they're one with the divine, then how does that kind of fit in with, with the practice? for lack of better words like are they using it to, as a seeking thing or are they are they using it as a just to be in that in the bliss of god or um or everything are they using it for both or something else as well i would say that it's both mm-hmm. and that even the great bowel masters um whose poetry is so beautiful um uh, that they they are giving a teaching they're also it's their practice because the songs are very very difficult to sing and you really have to have you know of course the bowels they're immersed in the indian traditions of the aesthetic traditions of of tala and of rhythm and melody and Mm. and raga and mood and all of these things is very very big um requires a lot of a certain amount of skill um, and and a and a big dedication to the art form, mm. um, but so some of them I would say yes they are they are using it as a as a way to teach and to transmit what they've realized mm. and maybe even at the same time they're still seeking because the beloved of the soul is not something that you can capture and this goes back to what I was trying to remember that I wanted to mention that you had brought up about concepts and how easy it is from the spiritual path to grab onto a concept. Mm-hmm. And even, even though our hearts may be involved with it and our whole body is involved with it, we can, it can then slowly become a concept. And then we're mm-hmm. in a kind of a, a prison of the mind yeah. again. Mm-hmm. And so, so the bowels will say that, that uh, the unknown bird of the soul or this this beloved of the heart that that comes and goes that we don't have power and control over that that yeah. it's a mystery so it's really a, it's really um very much this the beauty and the sacredness of this mystery of the divine yeah. the divine within us the divine that is all of life yeah. and the embodiment you know back always back to embodiment because the bubbles have this teaching the body knows that that uh that deha the truth of the body mm. the more we are embodied in our human life and in this physical form where transformation can mm. happen the more we are actually connected to that beyond that we started with yeah the transcendent reality yeah yeah because some people say you know which I don't really agree with, but in some non-dual teachings, they say like, like who needs to get embodied? There's nothing there to get embodied. You know, it's just an idea, which I'm sure you can kind of see, like it has an element of truth in it. But I know the, not just as an idea, but the idea of embodiment really means to really, I guess it really means to really be in your body, but be in your body as the divine. So you're really embracing everything all, aspects of everything um so i don't know 
I guess, what I don't really know what I'm going to say, but like to just look into the embodied aspect of it more, because I think that's really important, you know, that we don't just overlook it. We don't just overlook like embodiment or what's the mean, because I think for a lot of us in spirituality, it's just an idea. It's just a word and we don't really know what it means. But I think it is a really real thing that needs to kind of like to shine our, our light on it. I kind of think it really just means not being afraid of anything that appears inside of us. So that means you're allowing everything that appears inside you to be here. You're really embodied, you're present, present, present with everything, you know, but I mean, it could probably mean a lot more than that. And then I know this is a real kind of mind kind of question, but it's a kind of question that the mind wants to ask, which doesn't really have an answer really. <laughs> I know that already, but like, this is what all the minds want to ask. And it's kind of like how to, how to get embodied. <laughs> you know and I guess it's like spiritual maybe it's just applying spiritual practice whatever it is like you said you know whatever you're drawn to but to apply it into your life and that can often take courage you know because it's kind of easy sometimes to just go with the fear I suppose <laughs> there's this um there's this understanding that's been developed over quite a quite a period of time a number of decades here in the states it's called spiritual bypassing mm -hmm. yeah. and what that means is that we use spiritual truths yeah. to bypass the work the inner work that we need to do our own healing and becoming whole and integrating our life experience it, the bad the good the beautiful the ugly all yeah. of it is part of who we are and mm -hmm. all of it has the potential for being a, 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 a doorway of transformation yeah. and i wanted to say something about this 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 uh, you know people who are into non-dual teachings and that that's all true too mm -hmm. we are in a unified field and emptiness or nothingness or no self is is a real place in existence it, mm. it is part of yeah. the manifestation of uh, it's a part of um the expression the dance of the divine yeah um but there's it, at the same time that we are nobody in a very real way yeah we are also somebody yeah. in the same way that, that there is emptiness there is also fullness yeah and it's the dance between the two and I'm kind of walking that line of, of the partaking of the whole of mm -hmm. life that is that is powerful in the path that that I've practiced in all these years and that I'm still very, very passionate about it because mm -hmm. it just keeps. But uh, what you say about, you know, how, how do we do that? Um, that that's going to be an individual journey. Yeah. And it's so important <clears throat> that we not, bypass, we not do this uh, spiritual bypass where we use concepts and beautiful teachings that are true, but they are not the whole picture. Yeah. Uh, we use that to try to escape or, uh, or jump over or deny or even right. repress you know what we need to do for ourselves for our own healing it kind of comes back to what you said that your teacher said 
the you have to make the path your own yes. I feel like it comes there you know so if we have these non-dual teachings already and we've even recognized the truth of them and it's a very real thing like you said but then also this human individual experience in life is also a very real thing and our bodies are very slow <laughs> to catch on to the news that actually we're divine you know so all this old thing like energies from who knows what <laughs> you can just say we'll just say this life so old energies and it's not like they don't just leave our body and we're just left in like bliss like momentarily maybe or maybe even sometimes for a few weeks or a few months but somehow it seems like in most people there's probably always the rare exception that it can happen <laughs> but i think in most of us like our bodies are holding different tightnesses and conditioning stories that come up so that's where like embodiment comes in so I wonder, do you have a practice that you would associate with embodiment? You might not use those words, but do you have some kind of a practice that you'd like to share? Well, I, I have many practices and I have many practices and, and many that I've done over the years and, and it's evolved, but many years of meditation, a formal meditation practice and um, breath work and uh, of course, prayer and um with the sun and five months and these kinds of, of practices that have meant a lot to me over the years and now that you know as we practice the practice becomes a part of us and and um, so we might you know at the beginning we absolutely need that hour of sitting every morning sitting in meditation for example and maybe later it becomes um i wrote this little book during the pandemic called the art of contemplation in in which i've kind of synthesized some of my experience of how many practices over spiral spiraling you know through the decades of practice have, um uh, really a contemplative life for me mm. so um and one of the aspects of that is creativity. Yeah. So for me, like whatever creativity is for you, mm -hmm. and it could be anything. And for me, it's often I play the piano, I love to sing, I love to chant, and I write a lot. Um, and I love to cook. And I love and for me, it's mm -hmm. creative watching the sunrise and the sunset. This is, you know, just really connecting directly to the beauty expression of the divine through nature. And that this nature actually helps us, especially if we're dealing with anxiety and fear, um, whether it's from past wounds, as you were saying, or the conditions in the world today, or our fears for our loved ones, our concerns for our loved ones, that the more we can connect to the natural world, the more we can connect to our own creativity mm. and our contemplative nature mm. and cultivate that the the more support we receive from life mm. and and back to creativity that that could be maybe you like to write poetry maybe you like to read stories to children or tell stories to children maybe that's mm. the creativity that's feeding or or um you enjoy deep conversations with friends or the work that one has even you know we're running a business it can be very very creative mm. and very serving of life so when i say creativity i'm talking about a big possibility 
um, for us. It's more of a mood of wonder and exploration and, and um, really celebrating the beauty and the impermanence of life. That's all up in creativity. Mm. But that's Great. kind of a lot. I, I hope that's helpful. I'm, <laughs> Yeah, what's coming when you talk is like, it feels like creativity is life energy, really, like when we just allow ourselves to just be and then the creativity that comes through, it's really life flowing through us, isn't it? And it's very obvious with beings who are creative, you know, that it's just coming through them, <laughs> you know, and I definitely know like through writing, like I do some writing sometimes. And I guess my experience with it is changing. But in the beginning, it felt like I thought I was like channeling something else. I thought I was here and I was like channeling a different being or something because it clearly wasn't me who was doing the writing. <laughs> but now I kind of see it a different way. It's just like there is no me anyway, <laughs> ever. So it's just, it's kind of like life energy is flowing through us. But the question I wanted to ask you was, we're not always kind of connected to that creativity, you know, like for someone who's, let's say, very busy in their life, you know, they're doing, they're working, they have a family, they're doing this, and it's kind of hard to, um, maybe to just, they're not in the flow of creating, uh, creating, <laughs> but literally creating a creative space. So I wonder, do you have any kind of ideas about how to tune into the creativity and to open up that creative space in us? Because for sure, creativity feels good and natural and alive, but we're not always kind of open to it or something. How can we, ordinary people, all of us in our busy, busy, demanding lives hmm. kind of carve out, how can we become creative? How can we, and that's a very big question, it really, and it's so individual and it may be that it, that it's it's really a shift in our concepts of what creativity is, mm. and we may have to look for. Uh, there's a song that uh, my teacher, he was a a writer, also wrote many uh, poems, and songs. and one of the songs is called "Death and Music," and there's a line in that song that goes, um, "Satisfied with the joys." in the cracks between my sorrows, not counting on a future of illusory tomorrows. So just, um, just being willing to, I think this thing of opening the heart to feel is like the first beginning thing of, of letting creativity begin to move our lives, mm -hmm. this divine creativity that we can cultivate trust in life again, trusting the process of life and actually seeing through the eyes of wonder the, and the impermanence. And I know I keep saying those words, but this is so important to creativity because mm. it, is, it is, even if we produce something like a book or painting, mm -hmm. that too will end, that too will, everything, everything will go, everything mm. will everything will have its end, yeah. all things. And there's so much beauty in that, in the fleeting nature. So I think cultivating this attitude, uh, opening up our concepts, letting, allowing ourselves to feel so that the life force can come in. 
Mm. Um, being willing to do that work. These are very, this is like a priming the pump, you know, for creativity mm. as yeah. we would a well, you know, or mm. we have to prime the well to get the water up mm. um, and, and allowing ourselves to see life. Yeah. Cultivating that clarity of vision and the opening of the heart. Yeah. And that's a, that's thing that we do. That's how we be. We may not have any time to like, oh, I'd love to paint, but I have no time. Mm. I have four children and a job and, a, you know, mm. the reality of life. Yeah. But we can begin there. What can mm. we see in our children that, that, that causes our hearts to leap with a little moment of joy, satisfied with the joy in the cracks between our sorrows? We could say satisfied with the joy in the cracks mm. between our busyness, you yeah. know, the yeah. constant man. And it's also like life knows, life knows that we're, if we're busy, like we haven't got time to paint. So if we're just kind of open to, we're open to being really, I feel like when you're just being, and then you're open to that creativity, then life will show us the way. So if you're busy, let's say you have to bring your children to school, you have to collect them, you have to do something when they're at school, you have to do this and you have to do that. Then really there's no time for painting, but there's always time for something, you know, like you can be creative about your language that you use even <laughs> you know and actually we don't have to decide I don't think it's not like a decision that our mind has to make I feel like it's more just like when we're being and we're open then life shows us then we just get to see oh I'm being creative in this way I'm being creative in this way or like creativity is flowing through in this way because it's not even we're not really the ones doing it and when you think you're doing it that kind of stunts the creativity I feel like when you yeah. kind of get out of the way it flows much easier and that's just a kind of a habit of the mind is to say oh yeah I did that I did that <laughs> but really like the divine is doing it through all of us that's really beautiful what you're saying is really beautiful it's bringing a transparency we become transparent so that we can be mm. the vessels or the 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 hands and the feet of the divine and the world. And, um, and another practical thing that we can do is just pay attention to our breath. Yeah. Just paying attention to our breath or taking the moment when we're falling asleep mm. to remember the divine in whatever way that is for us. Yeah. Um, just to remember God, what, how, the God of our understanding, the God of our hearts, however he or she is for us. Yeah. Yogi Ram Sarat Kumar said, you know, if you would like, take this beggar's name. Mm. And if not this beggar's name, take whatever name of God, but take the name of God. So the name of God could be a wordless prayer, a feeling in our heart of remembrance before we go to sleep at night. Yeah. This is powerful and it's creative. And it's, as you're saying, mm. life will then, the more we cultivate these kinds of little moments, we steal little moments to just breathe mm. at while we're washing the dishes just breathe yeah. um, while we're driving the car just breathe and and be aware that we're breathing or mm. and to remember and to remember the divinity that is mm. i love like yogi ram sarat kumar's words you know, when you go into his ashram, I don't know if you've been there in a while or if the ashram was there when you were there, but it says like my father alone exists. And I yeah. just lo love that. I feel like it's very powerful. And 
even if we don't know it, you know, sometimes we might get glimpses that we feel like we know it or we experience it, but even however deeply we know it. So even if it's only as a thought in the mind <laughs> or sometimes it can be in the heart, you know, it can be on lots of different levels and maybe that's changing all the time as well. But I feel mm -hmm. like it's a very um, beautiful thing to have with us because it's just, it's really exactly the same as what you were saying, but just remembering God in, in everything whenever we can. So yes. those words, my father alone exists. That's like everything is God, whatever it is. But I like Sorry. what you were saying about the breath, because the thing is, the breath is always with us. Some things we find hard to connect to, you know, like even someone can say, my teacher, Ananta, he says, you know, can you stop being, you know, as a way to bring your attention to recognize that? No, actually, I can't stop being. But sometimes people can find that hard even because of the way the mind can just be in the way or seemingly be in the way. But the thing about bringing our attention to our breath is like, it's very hard to not notice our breath. If we choose to be with our breath, it's always there. So simple is good. I like simple. Yes. Yeah, simple is very good. And uh, I'm happy that you've been to the Yogi Ramsarak Ashram. The last time I was there was probably 2017. Oh yeah. But the first time I met Yogi Ramas Rakumar was in 1993, before the mm. ashram was built. Yeah. Numerous times in between. Uh, but yes, I, I remember. I remember that there are many beautiful sayings of Yogi Ramas Rakumar all around the ashram. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's really amazing there. Like I felt when I went there, like as soon as you just step through the gates, the energy there is very palpable. Like they, maybe it's through Ma Devaki and all the devotees who still live there as well as his presence <laughs> being there. But it's very much alive really with his presence. Like I just yes. walk through the gates and like just start crying. <laughs> like even not seeing anything, you just like you can really feel it. And already you're in a very strong energetic place, you know, being near Aranachala. But still, when you walk through the ashram, there's a unique quality of energy like his yes, energy his presence is very strong on our ashram here in in arizona as well oh. and hmm. i where where i live and it's it's um it's it's a it's continually amazing and humbling and and also exalt and, and also exalting yeah uh, to be in yeah. that presence yeah very it's a it's a gift yeah i was gonna say you're very blessed to be in the environment like yes. anyone who gets to be in the ashram of their guru i feel like is very blessed because not everybody's life plays out that way <laughs> you know yes i have a tremendous gratitude and yeah really a deep thankfulness and yeah um, just before we finish, would you like to say something about the new books that you're writing and the most recent book, maybe, and let us know a little bit about it? Well, um, yes, thank you, Amber. Um, I, have a, I have written quite a number of books, including a biography. I wrote the first biography that was published in the West of Yogi Ram Kumar, and mm. it's titled Yogi Ram Kumar Under the Punai Tree. 
And it was a great joy for me writing this and times when I would be so moved, I would just, I would just start weeping over the keyboard as I was writing because I was, I was so immersed in him during that time period when I was writing the book. And it was a, it was a task that my, my teacher Lee gave to me. And, um, you know, I fell in love with Yogi Ram Sarat Kumar as well. Lee introduced me to Yogi Ram Sarat Kumar and then I fell in love because he was very easy to fall in love with mm-hmm. yeah. find the divine beggar child of true Venomali. Mm. So I, there's that book and I've written quite a number of other books, including one on enlightened du- duality, which we've been talking about today, which is written with my teacher Lee. Mm. Um, and those books are available through home press and that's H O H M press online. You can go online and get them. As well as this little book that I mentioned, The Art of Contemplation, which is Mm -hmm. a little tiny book. It's very easy to read. And it Mm -hmm. has some writing exercises in it um, that you can engage or not engage. And and, um, a lot on these subjects that we've been talking about today, Mm -hmm. uh, but in a very concise and, and, um, as I said, easy to read. Mm -hmm. It's not very long. Yeah. Um, so the art of contemplation and that too is available through home press or through Amazon. You can get my books, all mm-hmm. any of my books through Amazon. And then more recently I've started writing, um, novels of historical fiction with a strong spiritual underpinnings and a lot of myth and, and, uh, focusing in on, I, I love the British Isles and I, you know, I so enjoy listening to your, beautiful accent on the <laughs> it's really a, a really a joy for me my grandmother was Irish yeah. and I have ancestors from Scotland and England yeah. and so I have a great uh, love of the Kel- ancient Celtic tradition yeah. and um, so my m- more recent novels have been I'm working I have published two out of three of a trilogy called the summer country and it's published by Sirsa Press. It's, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but that's the Gaelic word, S-A-O-R-S-A. Oh, yeah, Sirsa, I, I think. Is it Sirsa? Sirsa. It sounds like Sirsa. That sounds, it's yes, like a name. Yeah, it's, a, it. it's, it's a girl's name, but it might mean, it probably means something as well. <laughs> I know what more is the name. Well, supposedly it means freedom. Freedom, yeah, Sirsa is freedom, yeah. and so those are um the title of the first one is the company of avalon because this the books take place in the summer country which is now somerset in england at the at the location of what is known today as glastonbury and Mm. was known in the old myths as inniswitran where the isle of avalon was and the whole Mm. arthurian legend author guinevere lancelot etc i'm sure you know these being I don't, I don't really No, <laughs> I know of them. Like, of course I've heard of that, but I haven't really tuned into the, I don't know the story so much. <laughs> and these books are tied into the, the worship of Mary Magdalene that, that grew up around the ancient, at the old um, um, church and, and monastery and cathedral of Glastonbury mm. that was destroyed at the time it's oh, okay. destroyed by Henry VIII at the time of the, the uh, dissolution of the monasteries. So it's a very, uh, they're mm. very 
if you're like me, I, I love novels. I love I love nonfiction as well. I've written mm -hmm. a lot of it, as I said. Uh, but I'm always looking for novels that have real spiritual substance for me. Yeah. That give me something to think about and to contemplate. But they're novels. Yeah. So I so that element of story. And <laughs> just like life. Just like exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so true. It's perfect. So, it's like so a reflection of life now. Like you don't, it's like in the beginning in spirituality, we go totally towards non-duality. It's like gone away yes. from story and all. Just like you said, there's the mountain and then there's no mountain. Then there's the mountain again. So even in your own expression, <laughs> the expression now is like you're writing novels, but it has the the uh, spiritual underpinning. So it's a, a great reflection. <laughs> it really is. And thank you so much for seeing that because uh, making that connection, it really warms my heart because that's true for me. Yeah. And um, and the other thing I'm passionate about as a writer is memoir writing. And I do offer quite a number of workshops on writing, writing as spiritual practice mm -hmm. and memoir writing as transformational practice and spiritual practice. So if you're interested in any of that, if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested, you can go to my website, which is Mary Angela Young and just contact. There's a contact in in the website. And let me know that you're interested and I'll make sure that you get on a mailing list if I'm giving any workshops. Often I give them with my friend and writer, Regina Sarah Ryan. And uh, these are wonderful, wonderful things that anybody can write, can, can write uh, in this memoir. Um, Sorry, what is a memoir? Style. What is a memoir? A memoir is like any, it's, a memoir would be, it could be um, you take a year out of your life and you write about your experiences and your, your journey during that year and what was meaningful to you about it. Mm. Or it could be you take one experience that you had. Some people will publish memoirs that are simply about something that happened one month in their lives, some major event that they're, and the, we do it. Primarily, we would write a memoir for our own process of integrating our experience to find out what was transformational in it. We've integrated it as part of the mandala of who we are. Mm. And so what, what did we learn? What did I learn from that humbling, you know, the experience where I, everything broke down for me, as an example? Mm. These are, it's a very powerful way. It's a tool to work with. Um, and it goes back to your question about what about everyday creativity, mm -hmm. um, writing about our story or some little moment in our story. This is memoir. That's very interesting. And I feel like it also ties into embodiment because, you know, we go through these stories in our lives, you know, and we often don't reflect back. But I feel like to reflect back, maybe especially after a lot of the time has gone by. So it's not if it was traumatic or if it was very challenging at that time, you know, I'm thinking of a particular time in my own life. And um, but to really focus in on that, like you're really shining the light of your attention right there and then you're really embodying that experience as a from a higher ground almost because it's not happening now I don't know if that's the right words but I can really see the value in that even though I haven't done it it's <laughs> just true here and yes. you speak and I can see that it would be very valuable yes you, you said said it very well and mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes it takes sometimes it takes 30 years to be able to actually articulate 
what happened in a mm. way that we're bringing consciousness to it. Yeah. And my teacher was a Lee was a he really he 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 um he gave me the practice of writing as he did for many other people mm. and the practice of singing as well and singing, you know, kirtan and chanting and so on, so on. But with writing, he said that um, the degree to which we have integrated an experience in our lives so that it has transformational value for us, that that's in direct proportion to our, our ability to articulate, to, to say in words what happened yeah. yeah so we use the you know, the magical power of the word yeah to for our own for our own process of transformation and of course we do all of this because we want to benefit all beings yeah and all of life so yeah. this is another piece of it that our own transformation like what i do what you do amba what anyone anyone individual does to bring more clarity more more open heart open eyes all of that that affects the world yeah it affects everybody it has a beneficial blessing effect on the totality of creation in fact yeah. and this is a a very good reason to do this work <laughs> yeah it really is that's a good good ending <laughs> It's our purpose in yeah. the big sense. So yeah. It's about purpose. Yeah. And I feel like we don't even really need to know about that. You know, sometimes you kind of kind of get a glimpse that you kind of know that it helps everything and all, but even to just do it because it feels right, <laughs> you know, yes. is enough. Like we're kind of being guided from within. I feel like what to do. And we don't really need to be concerned so much about the bigger picture. Even sometimes life can show it to you, but I don't think we need to know it. Yes, it's a mystery, isn't it? Yeah. And that word mystery and the other word that comes for me as you're speaking is faith. Yeah. We've talked about trust, you know, trust and faith. They're like best friends. Yeah. <laughs> they hold him, yeah. so to speak. And um, having faith and cultivating faith, even if we don't think we have it, maybe we can cultivate it in, in, mm. in, in ways uh, uh, faith that we are loved yeah. by the divine, that we are loved and that all is well in the very big picture, the, the transpersonal, the beyond yeah. and the here and now, that it's all somehow everything is okay. Yeah. There's a line from a, a, mm -hmm. a, a beautiful African-American spiritual that goes... Um, the poet, the singer sings, things are not what they should be, but God is so good to me. And it's, it's a, it really speaks to that, what you were saying about, mm -hmm. we don't have to know, we can't figure it out. It's a mm -hmm. mystery. Yeah. But we can have faith. Yeah. I'd loved, I really loved uh, so much of what you said and our conversation and our sharing back and forth and, mm -hmm. and so many moments when I felt that you just had such a, a really organic, just uh, a true, like you would just reflect back in such a beautiful way. Yeah. 
and I appreciate that. I really feel nourished by mm. by you. So mm. that's good. Thank you for the answer. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to pleasure to meet you. Thank you so a much. Pleasure to meet you also. <laughs> we say um, Jai Guru in the bowel path. Oh, it's good. Jai Guru. I was kind of thinking, you know, something was coming into my head, you know, Yogi Ram Suraj Kumar. And it's like, no. <laughs> Jai Guru is good because it's very universal. Yes, kind of, very universal. Yeah. Somehow I always want to, you know, in these type of meetings to kind of honor the Guru. You know, I also, it doesn't feel right to kind of like copy the way my guru does it. You know, he kind of honors his guru, like at the beginning and end of every meeting. Mm -hmm. But somehow it never really kind of flows for me <laughs> in that way. Like I feel it, but it doesn't flow out in, in words. But I think I quite like something like Jai Guru because it's very universal and yes. easy and anybody can connect to it. And it's not specific for one person, which seems to be very uh just the way my expression is even though i very much do honor my gurus and teachers individually as they are but somehow i don't want to overly emphasize and i don't want to overly emphasize anybody's story right. and name and right. form you know more of a universal like that truth that's in all of us i want to honor that <laughs> yes yes i think this is very very important Hmm. And um, extremely important that we not, it's so easy to go in the direction of um, adulating a guru rather than doing the work that we need to do. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Like just worship that over there. It's beautiful, yeah. but you know, not really work yeah. over here. Um, who is your guru, Amba? Um, both Muji and Anand. How do you spell that? Um, do you have you heard of Muji? Oh, Muji, M O O J I. Yeah. Yes. Muji yes, yes. and his disciple Ananda as well. So I'm much more in contact with Ananda. 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 Yes, I have heard. Uh huh. I have heard of Muji, and I know that Madhavaki has is very connected. He sometimes comes to the Yogi Ramsrat Kumar Ashram. Yeah, they both, they yeah. really have a really good connection. They love each other yeah. very much. And anytime I was there with Ma Devaki, I spent some time in Turvan Amalai and I would go there and be with her. And she always talks about Muji and how much she loves him. I don't know why yeah. she met him. I think when Yogi Ram Kumar was still alive and mm -hmm. they just, they have a really good connection. And I also yeah. feel very, I don't know, you know, I feel very much connected to Yogi Ram Kumar as well. Also, like I think there is a, a great connection between them. Yogi Ram Kumar and Ramana Maharashi. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean, right. Them, yes. I mean, there's something like yeah, they were neighbors. So <laughs> they were neighbors, and and they're they're all connected. <laughs> yeah, they they may have slightly different messages because mm -hmm. there are many different paths up a mountain, as mm -hmm, we know. Yeah. yeah, and they're all good. Exactly. Well, maybe not all good. <laughs> Yeah. That was good. more questionable, but um <laughs> yeah, it's true. The good ones are because, all good. <laughs> yeah. Because there's people can use the spiritual path. There are false teachers out there. It's true. But not any of the not any of ours. No. <laughs> blessed. Yes. Very blessed. So I often I think listened to some 
couple of Muji's teachings too. I've seen mm. a few things from YouTube. Mm. I often think it's more about the disciple than the guru. So mm. I don't think you have to worry too much about getting the wrong teacher or the right teacher. Of course, it's wonderful. Like if you're like, you will be blessed if you're the disciple is in the right place. Like, I think it's more about the disciple, really, like what's in your own heart, you know, and then the guru can will reflect that to you. I don't know. I always had that kind of sense. Yeah. And then then we see like there isn't really a difference, you know, a, a true guru or master is not holding themselves as a guru or master they're just a they're just a being <laughs> same as us yes. you know yes they're just in the mix with us and in in yeah. such a powerful way and it's really true what you say i really appreciate hearing your wisdom about that um lee used to say that um that a good disciple can make use of a bad teacher yeah I really feel a good like disciple that. can learn yeah. from bad teaching. Yeah. I mean, it's put in very simple terms, you know. I know. There's there's many arguments you can yeah, and there's arguments you can have with it, but like the essence of of what's true is there. <laughs> right, yes. So thank you so much for this opportunity oh, to yes. meet you and mm -hmm. have this conversation. I'm very grateful. Same, same. I'm very grateful too. Thank you. Really enjoyed. Enjoyed very much getting to talk yeah. with you. <laughs> same, same. Okay. Thank you. Jai Guru. Jai Guru.